We're going to talk a bit about circumstances today and seeing them accurately. Um, but something that happened in that last two weeks, over the last three weeks as well for me, is that after the first week while I was straining to read and we had the problems with the Bibles, I got a Bible that week. I never had a Bible. Last time I purchased a Bible is probably 17, 20 years ago. And then last week, someone else got me a Bible. So if anybody feels so moved this week, <laughs> an audio Bible. I don't like reading. <laughs> I like listening, all right? So this is the last one in the installation. <laughs> an audio Bible, if anybody got so prompted again this week, all right? Uh, well, let's, let's try again. We're going to do some reading again today. Yeah, a lot of Bibles start coming. Let's do some reading again today, and um, we're going to start off in Hebrews 11, if you guys go there all the time. And All right, then. And we're going to... I will try to probably intersperse with different translations, because sometimes some other translation seems to capture... what is being said differently, okay? We're not going to start from verse 1, go down to Hebrews 11. <laughs> I don't need glasses as well. Nobody buy glasses this week. See, don't get any ideas. <laughs> All right. Let's start from verse 30. 30. When you're all there, that says, yeah, you're there. All right, then. All right. All right, so just as we go into this, as we're reading this, as I said, we're going to talk today about circumstances. All right, so see the story, see the circumstance. But what I want you to also to look for is obedience in the circumstances. All right, because a few weeks ago, we were talking about obedience and disobedience. Anybody remember that? Yeah, we're talking about obedience and disobedience. So as we look at the circumstances, um, look for how the individuals took a position of obedience to obey God, all right? And I want to suggest that um, as we take positions of obeying God, whether the circumstance is a favorable one or the circumstance appears to be negative, it all works out for our benefit, all right? It allows our salvation to be complete. So... See the circumstance, look for the person taking a decision of obedience, and then hopefully that buffets all our faith that we go out and could do likewise, all right? So from verse 30, we'll read to the end, and then we see where that takes us. Oh, I'll have to read from here. So by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people have marched around them seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, women receives back their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured and refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. 
Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in desert and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their fate. Not none of, yet none of them received what had been promised. All right? So we're going to go back through that and look at some, opportun- um, some situations where people obeyed God. And I'm hoping at the end that me, together with yourselves, will be buffeted in terms of facing our tomorrows and not looking at circumstances but seeing beyond them to, to, um, to what God may be trying to perfect inside of us. All right, so if we go back to verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and they were, after they were encompassed about seven days, my translation says. Now, it's very interesting there. Um, somebody in here may not be familiar with this story, so bear with me. Um, Joshua walked under Moses. Moses? Moses. <laughs> and then Moses died. And then um, there was a charge to him by God, be strong and very courageous. And part of one of the first things that God asked him to do was to march around the walls of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a big impenetrable city whose fame was because of how thick the walls were. All right? And imagine God giving this guy an instruction to walk around the walls seven times. And imagine going and tell a whole nation that that's what God wants us to do and he will give the city into our hand. And imagine God saying to you, say nothing while you do it, just walk around. While they were walking around, I'm sure the people on the walls were jeering them and stuff like that. All right? But what is interesting here is that an instruction came that looked from natural thinking impossible to bring about victory. But that guy, together with the children of Israel, had to make a decision. Are we going to obey? Or are we going to take some alternative route to get the victory that we want? Or even, do we bypass this city altogether and find a next route into the land? All right? So that's just a context of the story for those who don't know the story. But obedience is buried inside of that. What we also see is, by faith, the prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the skies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So we see disobedience and obedience punching up there. Let's go on. And what, verse 32, and what shall I more say for those who fail time to tell about Gideon? All right, we'll spend some time looking at some of these guys here. But, um, there is a little illustration. I feel now is the right time to do it. There's a little illustration came to me. Was it Tuesday morning, Mark? I think with the, the light shining through. And I think it's answering a question for somebody inside of here. So let me just give a little example. Um, let's imagine this glass jar being an example of the soul. All right? S-O-U-L. Okay? And something we were talking about, I felt somebody was 
asking God a question, and I'm just going to try to buttress it. We talked about the soul being filled with obedience or disobedience. Remember we talked about that? Few heads nodding. <laughs> All right. So every time you have an opportunity to hear God, you have a choice to either obey or to disobey. All right. And the example I want to use is, I have a few bottles in here. Uh, but the, the image that came to my mind is that they, 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 this, when we disobey, it's like a dark pebble, a black pebble, impenetrable to light. Okay? And when we disobey, we're filling ourselves with black pebbles. We are causing ourselves to heap up disobedience. And when we obey God, the opposite is true. There are pebbles that are clear. Remember we read Revelations 21 and 22, and they talk about that city that came down. And they said that city had jasper, some of parts of it were like pearls, some parts of it was like crystal. But what we are drawn out of Revelation 21, 22, is that all of them were transparent as glass. And what it also said is that it didn't need the sun or the moon in that city because God was its light. And there was a sense in which God shone through the pearls, the crystals, the sardonics, the, the various other elements. And um, I, what, I, what I just feel God is saying is that if we were to fill this, this is like a black pebble, yeah? If we were to fill this with black pebbles, and then I was to take a torchlight and shine it through here, these things wouldn't allow the light to penetrate. And I feel the question the person was asking is, but how, God, but I thought you forgive me of my sin. Yeah, and God is merciful and just. He forgives you of your sin, all right? But he desires his light to shine through you. And disobedience equal to, let's, let's even talk about Rahab. Not Rahab, the people with Jericho. Disobedience, if they didn't walk around that wall seven times and obeyed God, and God crushed that wall, we can't use that story as a testimony of God's glory. Yeah? He cannot be evident in that story. And that's why we need to fill the jars of our soul with obedience. Because only then can God use a testimony through it. Does all things work together for good to them that love God? Yes. Can God cause, call light to come out of darkness? Yes. Did Adam and Eve sin? Yes. Did we sin and fall short of God's glory? Yes. But the thing that demonstrates the glory of God is obedience and righteousness. All right? So a lot of times people say, by the mercy of God. And that is often used only in the context of forgiveness for sin. The mercy of God is not just to forgive you for sin, but it's to bring you to the place where he can possess you. Let me just say that again. The mercy of God, it is not just to give you an entrance to the gate. It's to take you beyond the gate of coming into the adoption of his, of his, of his kingdom to a place where you move from glory to glory. So mercy brings you from glory to glory to which you become a soul that is filled with clear glass pebbles and then God could shine a light through you and only he is seen. Because if this is filled with transparent pebbles, when the light is shine, all you will see is light. Yeah? The pebbles will almost dissipate. 
And I think that's what God is after. All right, so hopefully whoever was asking God that question, that um, helped buttress that point for you. But let's go back to, um, to these examples. All right, so verse 32 talks about time will not allow us to talk about Gideon. But we'll spend some time talking about these guys. Because earlier in Hebrews 11, it talked about Moses. It talked about Abraham. It talked about a couple of the heroes of the faith, Isaac, Jacob, and those guys. And I find it quite interesting that some of the guys mentioned here are people that I either didn't know, you know, when I first came across the scripture, or I felt, nah, guys like Samson mentioned in Hebrews 11, even coming before David, I wonder if it's chronological or <laughs> there is something that I missed in Samson's story. But there are traits of kingdom obedience inside of these guys that I think are treasures for us to know and to use as an example as we walk this life of faith. All right, so if we first go to Judges 6, and we see the story of Gideon. Go to verse 12. Is there? All right then. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and this is Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, something we said on, in, in, um, on Tuesday, in First Tuesday prayer, is that God don't define you based on your present state. He defines you based on, his, on your end. And that's a prerogative of God, because he doesn't, he doesn't exist in time. Yeah? And God calls for what is not as if it were. All right? So, when you see individuals in the Bible, or when you see individuals walking this life of faith, be careful not to just look at them in a snapshot. Okay? Or you will come to wrong judgments. We talked about that in Isaiah 10, 11, I think, where he talks about you wouldn't judge with the eye or the hearing of the ear. So we're talking about not seeing circumstances, but circumstances are outworked inside of us and also inside of our brethren. And it's important that when God declares something over us or God gives us a prophetic word, we have the ability to believe it and not be blinded by the circumstances. Okay? So he says, mighty man of valor. And then he goes on to say, and Gideon said unto him, Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Is Gideon talking about circumstances? We see that there? What does he say in this version? Yeah, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, do not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into this hand of Midian. And that's the story I remembered. So when I read Hebrews 11, I'm saying, why is Gideon there? You know? And he went on to test the God and ask God for things. But then God said to me, didn't Abraham test me? You know? We normally pick on Gideon and say he put the fleece out and stuff. But didn't Abraham laugh when God first told him about a child? In Genesis 25 or what? And did Abraham not also say, hey... How shall I know how this thing shall be? And God took him and gave him some meat offerings and put it out. And he fell asleep as well, just as the disciples. But often, when we talk about people can't tarry, we pick on the disciples. 
or people asking for um, a sign to prove something in God and lack of faith, we pick on Gideon. But I think if we look closely at even all the other heroes of the faith, they did the same. All right, so Gideon is bringing before God circumstances, and he's saying, why have we heard these stories? Why have we been oppressed by the Midianites for so long? Why have you allowed, if you are really sovereign, all these circumstances to surround us? Why should I trust you? And if we go on. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength, and you will save Israel out of the Midian's hand. And I am not sending you, but Lord God, but Lord, Gideon asked, How shall I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And I often say that to God when God visits me or the Spirit of God says something to me. I often say, but that thought I had this morning, or that action I took last week, or the thing that I did 10 years ago, why would you ask me to do this? If somebody brings that up, how will I look? Anybody ever done that, or I'm just the only fool? <laughs> I often remember my transgression. I often remember the black pebble I put in that jar. I often forget that Jesus' blood turned these black pebbles to clear, transparent pebbles. I often forget that God looks at me through the eyes of blood, the blood, yeah? I often forget the truth that there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I seem to forget that I'm walking the path of Christ. I seem to forget that he is the Alpha and the Omega. I seem to forget that if the beginning looks that way, that in the beginning God created, and if it says in Revelation 22 about the glory that God is to come, that I am part of that story. So I cannot judge my life from where I stand. All right? So, um, Gideon started to, to, to remind God, just in case God forgot his family lineage, I am the least, <laughs> yeah, in the tribe of Manasseh. <laughs> if you go ahead. The Lord answered him, I would be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me. And the Lord answered and said, I will be with you and strike down all the Midianites. No, 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 we said that. Please do not go away until I come back and offer an offering before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat and ephra of flour, and he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket, and it's brought in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Go ahead. And the angel of God said to him, Take all these things with the tip of the staff in your hand, and the Lord touched the meat, unleavened bread. It fled from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. And the thing that this reminds me of is that story in Mark, I think, where the guy had a son who was demon-possessed. And he came to Jesus and he said, please help me. And God says, he will, Jesus said he will help him. And he said, 
What's that scripture? Help my own belief. I believe, help my own belief. Yeah? So there's a point in which I am not asking you to, up, to act out of revelation. Okay? You, I'm not, let me say that, I don't know how to say that, communicate that. Taking a stand in God is understanding a truth and standing on that truth. It is not a mind Jedi trick. Okay? It is not saying the storm don't exist or the wall isn't big and strong. Okay? But it's taking a position that God you have said, so therefore I do. Okay? That is the pos- I just need to make sure that that is clear. Circumstances exist, but you have an opportunity to either go through them or wrong them. Could I say this? Be killed by them, but God still gets the ultimate glory. Okay? So it's not a mind trick. So I find that very interesting. So here, here is this guy having a bit of unbelief. He asks of this angel that appeared, and the angel helped him come to a place of assurance. And very interesting, that story goes on. And one of the, the, the mighty stories of Gideon is the story of him going out to battle with 32,000 individuals. No, 32,300. Because at the first encounter, 22,000 went back. That was God sifting the army down. I can't give you the victory with this army. And then after, another 10,000 went back. And he was left only with 300. And that 300, he defeated um, a mighty army that was encamped against them. No time to read this story, but please, if you go back to Judges, you'll find it. And very interesting, even after God withered him down to 300, he was still a bit perplexed. And God said, you know what? Take your servant. If you're a coward, go, you, I want you to come and hear a story. But if you're a coward, take your servant and go down to the camp, and I will show you what I will do. All right? Remember I told you about the story about Joshua. Joshua sent spies into, into, into Jericho, and the spies heard from Rahab that God was going to give them victory. And here was Gideon. God withered it down, sent him in. And when he was seeing the circumstance that God sent 32,000 people back and left him at only 300, God took him down and he heard two guys talking and one interpreting a dream. And he said, I saw a piece of bread and it rolled into a tent. It crashed the tent and the tent fell down. And the other guy said, isn't this Gideon who God had sent to, to, you know, to avenge over us? And eventually it happened like that. Gideon split up the army into 100 each and they defeated a mighty host. Okay? What am I saying that to say is that God is not interested in your arm of flesh. And let me explain what arm of flesh means. God is not interested in your personal connections. God is not interested in how much you studied. He's not interested in your professional qualifications. He's not interested in the resources you have gathered. He is not interested in the proximity or the size of your house or, your, or whatever possession you have. Okay? He uses those things. But ultimately, we are called to a place to understand that circumstances are defeated because God has said. Okay? Circumstances are defeated because what? And because we obey. And if we don't obey, this God who exists outside of time is patient. He looks for another generation. Okay? And we just read in Hebrews that they can't be complete without us. 
But there are a lot of other people who could have finished this race. But they chose not to obey God to the ultimate end. And guess what? This is now your time. Okay? So God determines the end in himself, but he looks for people who will serve him in spirit and truth and look beyond circumstances. And I want to suggest that that is us. All right? So Gideon heard God through the, through the angel visitation. He doubted or he asked for a sign to help his belief. And we saw that God gave him the sign. And I gave you the story that he went on to rout a mighty army. Let's look at who was the next guy in that chapter. I think it's Balak. Let's look at Balak. Quite interesting, Balak, like Gideon, is a descendant out of Manasseh. Um, I think Judges 4. Barak, saying Balak. Judges 4, verse 8. I need to go back and study this because these two guys descended from Manasseh, which was one of Joseph's sons. All right, Barak came from Gilead. Gilead was a son of Manasseh. And we saw earlier that Gideon also said, I'm the least of the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, that piqued my interest. Hey, Deborah, your name is in there. <laughs> All right, then. He said, Barak said to her, so a prophetess came to Barak and said, hey, come with me. God wants to give a victory through your hand. All right, and here he said, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand, what's that word? Sisera. Sisera over to a woman. That's an evil king. All right? So that's what I remember about that story when I read it when I was a child. So I'm thinking, why is this guy in the Bible if he... Seemed to have dishonor, okay? He seemed to have a circumstance presented to him, not responded right. And that woman there, oh, she was a devious woman. She, she gave the guy some milk to drink. A king, you know, that king was, was running from Barak, and he came upon that woman's tent, asked for some water. She said, don't worry, sir, come and sit here. I'll give, and then not give him water, give him milk. And while he fell asleep, she drove a nail straight into his temple. And then took his head off. Sorry, the kids are going, right? The one that's put head <laughs> You know, took his head off and then carried it and presented it to Barak and to Deborah the prophetess. All right? So that's how that woman got the victory and not this guy who was to get everything if he obeyed. But God still got the victory in the end. But what I found was interesting is that although it started this way, if you read that story in Judges 4, the guy obeyed and he became to stand in a valiant position because of um, receiving the instruction from God. If I looked at that snapshot, I would see a circumstance and say the guy is a failure. But if I read the whole story and I read all of Judges, I'm seeing that these guys eventually did what God said. These judges will save Israel and prove that God is going to fulfill what was said, I think, in Judges 2.18. That if the people humble themselves and they turn to God, that God will hear from heaven and he will deliver them. Okay? Um, who was the next person in that? Hebrews 11. Somebody saw it before me say, Samson. Oh, another one that I thought 
don't deserve to be there. It's quite interesting. Most of them are in, in um, Judges. Samson, remember that Samson guy? Mighty, strong guy, disobeyed, told a secret he was meant not to say, and then ended up losing his eyes and seemed to die a very miserable death. And I said, God, what wasn't that I was, how could that demonstrate obedience? Or why is he listed in Hebrews 11? And he took me back to that vow that happened between Samson and his, Samson's mother and father. Go to five, I think. No, where is Samson? 16, no? 13? The birth is 13, yeah. Beginning of 13. 16 is where they talk about the, the death of the Philistines. 13? Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of God. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man, Zorah, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, and he had a wife and was sterile. Oh, it's a funny translation. <laughs> All right. So she was childless, and the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said unto her, You are childless, but you are going to conceive a son. Now see to it. And we're not going to read all of it, but then a series of instructions came to which that family obeyed. And Samson as well obeyed God at several junctions of his life. And he was able to fulfill, um, I think you see it in, 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 um, in chapter 16, he was able to fulfill for 20 years of being a judge over Israel. So when I saw Samson's story, I only saw Samson's disobedience. I, I was not looking at an instruction that came to his household, a fulfillment of that instruction that he became mighty to defend Israel against the, the Philistines. And then in the end, I find it's quite interesting that um, Samson, when he was in between those pillars and the 3,000 Philistines were on that, uh, that rooftop, I think some translations say, it's quite interesting because it was all the dignitaries of Philistine that came to that function. So the prophetic word to destroy the Philistines got fulfilled. He disobeyed and it, so he tarried a while. But when he eventually pushed those pillars down, he brought a fulfillment to the word of God. So I remember I, I said earlier, which is a scripture, not just my words. I don't want to pretend to sound wise. All things work together for good to them that trust in God. Yeah? So sometimes God even passed your disobedience. Although your disobedience causes the salvation of God to tarry a bit, yeah? Like Esther, remember God said that to Esther? For such a time, through a prophet, you have called to the kingdom, but if you don't yield yourself, God will look to another, okay? So there's a circumstance, a reign itself, and God was saying, hey, this is your opportunity to stand. If you don't, I'm patient, I'll look again, and I'll deliver, all right? But here is Samson, if you read those three chapters, 13, 14, 15, probably 16, I think it finishes there, you will see a demonstration of a man obeying God through something that a promise that God made to his family and victory came about, okay? And as I said, obedience causes the light of God to shine through and to see the salvation. This other guy, Jephthah, Jephthah, that comes after Samson. How do you pronounce it? Jephthah. Yeah. A very zealous chap. 
And he was a child of, I think I talked about this here many, about two years ago. He was a child of a, of a harlot, um, and his brothers chased him away. And what then happened was um, somebody was oppressing Israel. And what this young man, he had a rubber bunch. In fact, some translation says when he was kicked out, he had worthless people that gathered around him. So he was not a man of great repute, okay? But when his brethren was oppressed, he went, they went to look for him, and they said, please come back and lead us. And he said, why should I lead you? Didn't you kick me out? You know, am I not the least? Da, 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 da. Eventually, they, they brought him back, and he, he called upon God, and God said, yes, I will, I will use you. But very interesting, in the euphoria of the moment, he says, God, ah, if you give these people into my hand, the first thing that comes out to me when I go back home, I'm going to offer to you. And for those of you who know the story, the first thing that came out was a daughter dancing and singing with a tambourine. All right? But I often talk, okay, this guy's going to sacrifice his daughter. She eventually um, was offered up to God. And people, there's a lot of debate, was that offering as not to get married or actually a burnt offering? All right? But he fulfilled his oath. But the thing I ask God is, why is that man listed here? He was, seemed like a bastard child. He seemed to gather with worthless people. He seemed to be hasty in making promises. And God says, but he demonstrates hands keeping of oath, even to personal course. And that's something that entreats me and pleases me. You get that point? It's very muted, but I want you to understand. There is traits of God. There's aspects of God that shine through the pebble of your life. That when God sees it, it pleases him. And when God sees it, he, it, it gives him confidence that he could shine himself through that thing and you will not distort what comes out at the end. So when God says his word will not return to him void, that God in Genesis saw those people eat of that fruit. And what did he do? He remained patient. He's still sitting patient on his throne. When? No. He didn't just move in his anger. He kept his word. And he says one day, a glorious church will appear. And we read in Revelations 21, 22, two weeks ago, that that church is us. All right? So, I do not understand it, but God, I think God shared with me, and probably some of you might have deeper understanding in that, that what that guy, <laughs> that name, all right, um, demonstrated is ability to live in oath and covenant and commitment to something that you have promised. And that's why the Bible warns us not to give oaths foolishly, Okay? Because he judges you according to it. All right? So let no man provoke you to, to make a, a, an oath or a treaty that um, you're not willing to give. All right? Um, so we got that point. With, what's the lady? Je whatever. All right? God is a God who is an oath-keeping God. All right? Who is the person that came next? 
David. A lot of us know the story of David and the great exploits. David, a man after our own heart. But the thing that really excites me about David is, is David's ability to, to obey. Okay? And we know the trans, one of the transgressions of David. Was it one of the transgressions of David? Adultery. That's the one that comes up, but we know the one when he did the census as well. Yeah? Remember the census that David did? So he had transgressions. Yeah? And God wiped out. He said, choose one of, choose, I'll do one of these three things. <laughs> and he says, God, I will fall on, on, on you know, on you. You, you. you decide. And God wiped out a whole series of people. All right? So these guys transgressed. But the very interesting thing is that um, although David made mistakes in his life and put some black pebbles, he heaped more clear pebbles inside of his life. All right? There was more examples of David walking in obedience, and those are the things we are called to pattern ourselves after. And I may have said this on the first week. Now, I will be an example, probably to some of you, my children, you know, in, in the sphere that God has given me. But please, only follow me as I'm following Christ. There is only one perfect example. Okay? And that is why you can't look at my disobedience. You've got to look at my obedience, which is a reflection of Christ, and that is the perfect example. And if you look at the jar of Christ, there's no disobedience inside there. And that's why he's the perfect example. Okay? But let's look at Psalm 40, if we may. I think that's one when David was inquiring of God. Psalms 40, 40. I waited patient for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse in falsehood. Sorry. Anybody else have a different translation? There's some translations who say verse 4 very nicely. Anybody? Anything beside NASB? NIV. The false gods. There's another one. Sorry. Go back to NASB. NASB. Go back to the one you had. Sorry. So we could use that to bring out that point. And as blessed, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse in falsehood. What that scripture says to me, you know, often in my walk, and I've been around here for five years, I can't, I can't remember exactly, since um, 2012, I think. But um, you guys matter a lot to me. And a lot of the decisions I want to take sometimes, I consider you before I take them. You know? Whether it's a decision for good or, or a temptation to do something out of my own strength. And the point I'm making is that we often seek pride or seek a sense of validation through others and sometimes miss an opportunity to just have confirmation from God. All right? I'm not giving anybody a license to go and act carelessly, okay? 
But the point I'm saying is that make sure that you don't draw away from walking in obedience to God because how it will look to others. And all those examples we talked about, those people had to stand and confront circumstances. I'm not saying as an island in yourself, yeah? Because if God births something in your spirit, oftentimes it resonates with others that you share that word with, all right? It bears witness. In fact, anytime I share or ask anybody to sh- or anybody shares here, if that word is jarring against you, a good action is to ask God, why is that? Because there should be nothing that I'm sharing here that don't bear resonance with you, unless it's in error. And if it is in error, then we have to correct that. Yeah? Nobody standing at the front have a monopoly on hearing the spirit. They could teach things, but witness need to be born. In fact, a lot of the things God have been stirring in my heart recently, if I listen something on YouTube online, I'm hearing somebody else saying the same thing. Recorded two months ago, the same day or a week after, I was studying it at home. And I think it, it helps me be assured or I hear it in a conversation in the office or whatever, that the Holy Spirit is really speaking. All right? So David is talking here about not turning away to pride or lapsing into falsehood. But the first part of that verse is, who has made Lord his trust? So there's a sense in which God is the person who makes things right. And we said this on first Tuesday, prayer came out when we were sharing something. Um, The thing was, we've got to understand truth and circumstance. So God is good, I think is what we were talking about for those who were there. And we said, God is good is an absolute. It stands by itself. It is not validated by your three score and 10 years of life. Okay? Probably you don't hear that. A truth is, God is good. Your circumstances don't validate that God is good. Even this book can't contain everything to validate that God is good. He is good because he's good. So if you're three score and ten years or however long you live, you face adversity. You cannot put a charge like Gideon and say, look how long have we been oppressed. Okay? If you lived in the hundred of years that you were trapped in Egypt, the Israelites, you can't say, God, I thought you say you would make us a mighty nation and say, look, we are slaves in Egypt and say, God, you're not good. God is good because that's a truth. You navigate circumstances so that in the end you could get to where we talked about three, four weeks ago that the glory of God could shine through you and that he could come and inhabit you. That is the purpose. And when we read in Hebrews 11, where he said some people did not seek a resurrection, did not ask for their babies to be come back to life, some people were sown in two or hidden caves. What that is trying to say to us is, whatever may befall you, do not use it to validate God, but understand who God is. And allow, as these circumstances cascade upon you, if you go to Romans 8, the end. As these circumstances cascade upon you, have a confidence that God works it out for good. Stephen got stoned just as he got a mighty revelation in Acts. 
But right there and then, I think Mark, you were sharing that somewhere in First Tuesday prayer somewhere. Right there and then, there was a sense in which his eyes, no, Jamie was sharing that. God, he, he, he did no longer see, go to the end, the last four verses. The, he didn't see the mob. Stephen, yeah? In Acts 6, is it Acts 6? Where is that scripture? In Acts, you go look for it in verse 5 or 6. Stephen um, stood up to give a testimony and a mob came around him. And very interesting, it's almost like the story forgot the mob. It forgot stones were being thrown at him. And the story suddenly shifted into, and Stephen lifted up his eyes. And he saw God seated on the throne. And he saw Jesus, not seated, standing at the right hand of the Father and welcoming him in. And that story creates great delight in me. Because is it possible, like what they talked about martyrs, not loving their life unto death, that is a possibility of us entering into a walk in this faith life, that circumstances, they fall to the ground. You're traveling on ships and storm is outside, and really I could demonstrate a behavior of falling asleep, you understand what I'm wrong? Ah, I, I went to dialect there, sorry. Do you understand where I'm coming from? And Nathan gave me the eye. Okay? And, and Hebrews, not Hebrews, Romans 8 talks about that. One of my favorite scriptures, often quoted. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril, or the sword, just as is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, we are overwhelmingly conquer. It doesn't read right. But in all these things, I forgot that word. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's go back to Hebrews 11 at the end and see that all played again. Let me just remind us what we're talking about. I'm jumping around, I know. But the point, uh, the, 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 the thing that I think God is communicating is we are called to live above circumstances. Hopefully one of these weeks we could talk about hope. And we could revisit that thing that John played last week. An anchor for the soul. Yeah? There's a place in which your soul becomes anchored in a hope. And that hope is... Shintanai. That hope is this life of faith in Christ Jesus. And guys, the scripture says in, in, in the beginning of Hebrews 11, faith... What is, you all quote it with me. Faith... All right. All right then. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I'm suggesting hope is an anchor in Jesus Christ and an anchor in God. I said it is not validated by your experience, it's validated because of who he is and truth. Now, hear this point. If faith is the substance of things hoped for, if we are hoping for God, and if the only thing we have as a substance to validate that anchor in God is faith, and faith, use the next word, is belief. Yeah? 
was reckoned unto Abraham as what? Righteousness. Because he what? Believed God. So if belief is the only thing God promised to give you, an opportunity to believe, to anchor your soul, you realize you can't be looking for no assurance in anything else. You understand that? It is not because he has a child. He believed God. He believed God even when he was childless. Is the believing that God is. David says, I believe that he is a one that re rewards those who diligently seek. And Abraham says, I believe you because I know it's not about the child. I know even if I kill this child, you will bring these deaths back to life. All right? But we read Romans 8. Nothing will separate us. And now let's read Hebrews 11 again. And it's, let me just read from verse 32. And what shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of, and of David also, and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, these are the mighty ones, oh, expressed mighty things, who, who wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, Escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness was made strong. A Bible talks, a translation talks about valiant. Wax valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women receive dead, raised to life again. All right? All those stories look mighty, not so? There are things to boast about. Are we seeing that? Mighty made strong, dead come back to life again. All those things look really nice. So some people have those situations, and you know they still have to trust God. Because if time permitting me to talk about those stories as Daniel praying still to get thrown in a lion's den, and, and um, all the other things that I talked about on top there, I'm sure if you put in those circumstances, you may draw back. <laughs> yeah? You may stop praying because you said, whoa. Yeah? So... Those victories didn't come about because it was easy. They came about because somebody obeyed. So, but those are nice stories that outworked beautifully. Let's look at stories that seem not to work out as nice as those ones before there. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown asunder. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through belief, through faith, faith, belief, receive not the promise, God having provided something better for us. I am sure my words can't do justice, but I think God wants to communicate something to us in this day about living beyond circumstances not defining to God the thing that presents in front of you but looking to him and saying God what is your will 
Yeah? Gideon, David, all those guys, they had mighty things arrayed against them. Daniel in the bowels of Babylon, in the bowels of a royal decree. But I find the thing that is amazing, just like Jesus Christ, when he faced the cross, they said, not my will, but thy will be done. And my prayer is that that would be all of our cry in every circumstance. Whether somebody says, Saul has killed 10,000, David 10,000, you will say, God, not my will, but thy will be done. I wouldn't draw away to pride, as it said in Psalms 40. I hope that when negative circumstances, and I don't want to call any examples, but just think about the myriad of stuff that probably you have experienced. When they befall you, you will not say, God, I thought you said this to me. Look what happened. I hope your prayer would be, not my will, but thy will be done. And then we live in the power of that which is shared in, um, I think in Matthew or Mark, where it says, and take up your cross and follow me. That was the instructions to the disciples. And that's us. Whatever is the cross, whatever is the circumstance that you need to go past by death, I'm praying that in God, we will all do it and we live above our circumstances. So I just want to pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that as it says there in Hebrews, oh God, we are so long, surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses. Both in the scripture and in this life, we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. But Father, cause us to lay aside every weight, everything that besets us, everything that draws us back, everything that reminds us of our weakness and cause us to cower. And Father God, like that which Stephen walked in, I'm asking God for us to take up our cross because you have opened our eyes to see a deliverance that is beyond this life. Father God, like it said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if our hope is only in this life, only in front of this place, God, we are miserable. But I thank you, God, that you have called us to walk a path that exists beyond mortality, beyond circumstance, beyond the pride of life, beyond, oh God, the trials of life. You have caused us to exist in a realm where we could see you high and lifted up. And as John quoted this morning, God, sitting on the throne, having the ability to open the scroll, because, oh God, you are the perfect example. You are the perfect pebble. You, O oh God, are the rock upon which the church is built. That you are the son of God. Father God, and I thank you that I am not defined by my former disobedience. I thank you that I will not be defined by the disobedience which is ahead of me. But I thank you that your grace is sufficient. And you have paid a price that nothing shall separate me from the love of God. And that I shall walk in the abundance of the things that you are pouring into my soul. And I rejoice, O oh God, for every day as a circumstance come upon me, I could choose obedience that I could heap inside of me, O oh God, fruits of righteousness, because I'm allowing every day through the death of myself and the death of the cross that everything inside of me, O oh God, is going to be, you know, it's going to look like that city that is transparent as clear glass. Let your glory come upon me and this, my brethren. Cause every thought that wrestles against us, O oh God, to fall to the ground. 
For you said in Ephesians, O oh God, that you have placed us, O oh God, above every dominion and every principality and every thought. God, teach me and my brethren to live, O oh God, a life that uses the armor of God so that we may be able to stand in the day of trial. God, as you help us quench fiery darts and divide thoughts of God and, oh, Shayad Abbasun, God, I thank you. For it is assured that in the end we win. So I thank you. And by faith we receive this and we look only to you so that we will have an adoption into your kingdom. Bless your holy name. Thank you, Hans. There's two things I want to quickly share uh, with you. When we were praying this morning, uh, before the meeting, that scripture um, about God's blessing makes rich and adds no sorrow with it came strongly to me. And I thought, just on the surface, I never feel that makes sense because it's not always about getting rich and it's not always about absence of sorrow. And as I just was waiting on it, what is the blessing of the Lord? Hans was just touching on it. The blessing of the Lord is the ability to have our hope in him. That is the blessing. It's not about what we get and what works out and what doesn't work out. The blessing is that we can have, by his power, our hope in him. The other thing I wanted to just mention, I don't want you to lose that, because I think that's important that our focus is... Uh, that's the greatest blessing, the ability to believe. Another thing is this wretched Jephthah character. You can pronounce it however you like. I was, quite a few years ago, I was in the office in Lifeline House and I was reading this story. And I read this thing about the big mouth who sacrificed his daughter. I was furious. I mean, I slapped that Bible down. I marched down that corridor. Uh, when It's just way back when Derek was with us. He was, you know, Bible student. I was going to say, Derek, what do you make of this? I mean, how can I possibly accept this? Here we are dealing with child abuse, dealing with the kind of things we're dealing with, and we're reading there. I mean, I was furious, and Derek wasn't there. So I turned around... And I'm walking back down the corridor, and God spoke to me. He said, so you don't understand? I said, no, I don't. And he said, so do you understand why I gave my one and only son for you? Wow. Talk about getting smacked upside the head. Wow. And I realized in a moment of revelation, this is not about my understanding. This is about my ability, God-given ability to believe in a God that is good, a God that is honourable, a God that looks after... Yes, I don't understand why he should give his one and only son. I don't understand some of the things. But it's not about my understanding. It's about my God-given ability to believe in him and trust in him, which is a supernatural thing. It's not in the realm of the natural. That's what God gives us.